Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal, with more entrepreneurs, more live events, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Encore Jane about creating a billion-dollar startup. Walter Isaacson about the geniuses who change the world. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello, and welcome to the Bechdel cast. Ever heard of it? Uh, Ever heard of it? I hope so. Oh, welcome to... You already said it. And well. Um, but what are our names? Thank you. My name is Caitlin Durante. Oh, awesome. My name What's is... your name? Oh, it's uh, Jamie Bethany Loftus. Whoa. Yeah. I know. I've, I've, I've probably said that on the show before, Definitely, right? Definitely. Yeah. But I never in the intro. And what's your full name? Oh, okay. My full legal government name is Caitlin Marie Durante. See, I knew that, but I wanted everyone else to know that. I wouldn't that be a really confusing like that's like a slight Berenstain Bears like Mandela effect thing. Like if we just all of a sudden started using our full names every single time, like hi, oh, my name's Jamie yeah. Beth Loftus, and I'm Caitlin Marie Durante, <laughs> and welcome. To, and people would get they'd be like, wait, I, what? Little shifts in the matrix like that would really fuck <gasps> with people. It bothers me when stuff like that happens, where I'm like. You're who? Mm. Um, <laughs> anyways, welcome to the Bechtel cast. This is our podcast um, where we take a look at your favorite movies using an intersectional feminist lens, if you can believe it. I can believe it. Yeah. And what we are doing today is unlocking one of our Patreon, aka Matreon episodes that we released earlier this year mm-hmm. on Dora and the Lost City of Gold. And we have a guest on that episode, Jose Marie Luna. We don't often have guests on the Matreon episodes. And this one has really, and first of all, if you're a matron, you already know this mm. episode uh, really fucking ruled and Jose is so wonderful that uh, we, we must unlock. We must share with the we world. Must. We must. Yes. yes. So that's what we are doing. So now that it's a, a main feed episode, we just want to include 
the kind of standard, you know, do the, the standard protocol, the Bechtelcast protocol, if you will, yeah. as far as introducing an episode. So we will explain the Bechtel test, for example. Jamie, what is it? Uh, well, well, okay, <laughs> relax. The, the Bechtel test is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. I feel like I want to start specifying that it was originally created as a one-off joke in a comic, Mm -hmm. um, but it has been widely adopted since as a way of examining the media around us. There's lots of different versions Mm -hmm. that have uh, evolved in this test over the years. The one we use to start our discussion is this. We require that there be two characters of a marginalized gender with names that speak to each other about something other than a man for more than two lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. The reason this metric is so popular is because for a very, very, very long time, and still sometimes now, um, that didn't happen. Yes. So, but with me and Caitlin, it happens all the time. It happens all the time because we, we're out here talking about movies. Yeah. Such as... Well, I was going to say sh- like Shrek 2, but that's, oh, but that that's, doesn't work out. That's, He's- that's a man's story. <laughs> that's a masculine. Who don't get me started on <laughs> the raw masculinity of that story. Um, but when we're talking Dora, it's passing. It's passing. Baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the other thing to know about this episode, if you've never listened to an unlocked episode before, is this, um, while we do have a wonderful guest covering an awesome movie, it's a looser discussion. Mm. It's not maybe quite the uh, the buttoned up Bechtel cast you're used to. <laughs> so if you hear me, maybe lightly cyberbullying Mark Wahlberg's nephew, <laughs> we just kind of get a little loose and like... Mm. It, that's just the that's, that's just how the, the matron is of the matron yeah so yeah. deal with it it's kind of uh. like i feel like the matron is do you remember in like the late 2000s when like if a judd apatow movie came out there would also be like a dvd that's like the unrated version oh, yeah. of the 40 year old version mm-hmm. and so that's just like kind of what the matron is for us wow that's true kind of it's just like we we get a little bit loose the Bechtel cast unleashed, you know? Unleashed, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we're very excited to share this episode with you. Um, you're absolutely going to love Jose Maria Luna. We love him dearly. And with that, enjoy the episode. The Bechtel cast. Hello, matrons. It's us again. Welcome back to Lost Treasury. There's a second Lost Treasure we want to talk to you about today. I was trying to think of how it would be fun to like introduce this episode the way that this movie is introduced. Like, it seems like it's going to be one thing, and then it like cuts to us sitting in a cardboard box being like, <laughs> which is basically how we record our shows. True, so true. It sounds like a, a a wild, sweeping adventure full of education and friendship, and it's really just us sitting in a box. And <laughs> my microphone is actually made of cardboard, and we. Our mom is a desperate housewife. She comes in sometimes, <laughs> and she's like, "Stop pretending to have a podcast. The one thing and truly anyone can have and does." <laughs> That's so funny. It'd be funny to, I'm, maybe this is a thing where like kids are like, I want I don't think any children, are, like children grow up and they want to be YouTubers or like TikTok stars. I don't yeah, think yeah. anyone's like, I want to have a podcast about an esoteric subject. <laughs> if so, that's interesting. And, and it's so, it's such an achievable goal. 
truly. But I would also argue that being a TikToker or having a TikTok account, as the least. kids are saying, <laughs> as the kids are, yes, a TikToker. Is that what it's called? TikToker? That ah. doesn't sound right. We're so old. Oh my God. Yikes. Well, friends, guess what? We have a special surprise Woo-hoo! for this episode. Normally, here on the Matreon, you know, it's just us. Me and Jamie goofing, goofing, goofing. Yeah, being irresponsible. <laughs> being irresponsibly goofy, going off, doing bits, which we will do today. But the twist. Yeah. And just like that, we have a guest. <laughs> we have a guest joining us today for this episode on Dora and the Lost City of Gold. He's a writer, screenwriter, occasional video essayist. It's Jose Maria Luna. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is very, very exciting. Oh, my gosh. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you. We've already, I feel like we we are already on such a journey, uh, the three of us. <laughs> for those listening, um, Jose left the room for a second. I didn't realize that he still had his earbuds in and I immediately started to tell Caitlin that I've had PMS for 600 days <laughs> and there's no end in sight. And it turns out you heard the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the intersection of art and technology. <laughs> it was a very important bonding experience. Like we mm-hmm. needed to go through that in order to record the podcast properly. Exactly. I don't think we really could talk about Dora and the Lost City of Gold without having had that experience first. It was very, very (laughs) bonding. This movie is wild. I'm so excited to discuss it. Yes, I am also very excited. And Jose, we reached out to you because of a wonderful video essay that you did entitled Decolonizing Adventure, A Cinematic Road to El Dorado, in which you analyze several different movies, Dora and the Lost City of Gold being one of them. So tell us about your relationship to this movie and maybe if you have any relationship with the source material of Dora, the cartoon, all that stuff. Dora as text. Dora as text. (laughs) Well, uh, the seminal story here, uh, I did did watch Dora when I was very young. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or maybe not that young. I remember watching Dora, so it couldn't have been too young. Right. And, you know, I watched Dora growing up in Colombia in Spanish and she taught you English. Mm, okay. Unlike like the like the original cartoon. So it was kind of very wild to me learning later on that Dora is just supposed to be like a Latina who's teaching like Americans Spanish. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, oh, I guess I never saw Dora as particularly like foreign. Mm-hmm. I just thought she spoke English. <laughs> so I, I did enjoy Dora. I was more of a Blue's Clues kid. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, they are back to back. I just remember that. That's mm-hmm. true. Oh, yeah. yeah. The golden age of Nick Jr. I don't know what airs on Nick Jr. anymore. I don't know if. Mm, no idea. Back in my day, Nick Jr. was better. It's not that I grew up. <laughs> and. Uh, right. I I didn't watch the movie when it came out. I just I just remember it came out when I was very busy. Mm-hmm. But I just very distinctly remember my friends being like, "Oh, we're going to the movies for my birthday. What should we watch?" We were thinking of seeing Yesterday. This was my friends here in Colombia, okay. and I was like, "Don't watch Yesterday. Go see the Dora movie. It sounds a lot better." <laughs> and they did. Oh, 
And you were right. Dora was way better than yesterday. <laughs> I, f- I forgot about yesterday. I feel like, did the world just, did we all agree, like, that never happened? <laughs> yeah, and then someone will come up with the idea for the movie yesterday because everyone else forgot about it. <laughs> and then we're just, this is our Groundhog Day culturally where we're doomed to continually watch the movie yesterday, the world's worst, most expensive idea. Oh, <laughs> and to this day, I haven't seen yesterday, neither have them, but we've all seen Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I saw it later on. These were my friends here in Colombia and I was still in the States. So I couldn't join them. Mm-hmm. And I ended up watching that for research for my video essay. Yeah. And I ended up really enjoying it. It was, uh, I didn't really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a wild time. Truly. In a lot of ways. Yeah. The twists. The twists in this movie. <laughs> did I expect a poop hole? No. Mm. I did not. Mm-hmm. So, Jamie, what's your history with Dora and the Lost City of Gold slash Dora the intellectual property dora as text at no that i i definitely like i think my younger cousins watched the blues clues dora block Mm -hmm. a classic nick jr block they used to have that mascot i hesitate to even call them a mascot it was a mascot called face and it was just yes face just a block of color with a face (laughs) <laughs> and then he'd be like, hi there, face here. And I loved the face. The face would just tell you what was going to be on TV. It was a little scary, but it was also kind of exciting. I loved face. <laughs> right? Face changed colors all the time. Face like would have holiday, like face could sing. I have no idea what you're talking about. I feel like there's probably porn of face, but that would be like kind <laughs> of... Um, <laughs> I, but I don't know. I feel like, but I, I'm sure it's out there, but that's actually really challenging because it's the whole look. If you look up face, it's just a screen. The whole screen was a face. It was like if Rocky Horror was for children and not scary, kind of like the beginning of Rocky Horror, but a whole, a whole face that was just like Blues Clues again, somehow. Bob the Builder. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I guess I'm saying I've I saw Dora. I liked Dora. Dora's like the sweetest, most lovable kid character. And also I feel like in the Nick Jr. universe at that time or like the really young kids universe, there were like not really many girl children who were like the leads of shows and especially mm-hmm. non white girls. So I I don't know, Dora's cool. I hadn't seen this movie. I remember seeing the poster for this movie and being like this could go a lot of ways. Like this could be so fun or so bad or like who knows. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see it until preparing for this episode. And I know I just remember that you loved it, Caitlin, and you saw it like four times. <laughs> so so perfect transition for what is your history oh, with wow. Dora? You saw it four times? I don't think so. You saw it multiple times. Not in right? theaters. No, I only saw it once in theaters, but I did watch it a few times after that prior to prepping for this episode. Because I kept being like, hey, friend of mine, do you want to watch the Dora the Explorer movie? And they're like, I guess. But then we would have such a fun time. (laughs) Anyway, so. (laughs) Okay, so I did not grow up watching the Dora animated series, of which there might be more than one. Isn't there like Dora the Explorer and then like Dora and Friends? Diego had his own show. Okay. Yeah, my little sister watched Diego. Okay. Yeah, and I think later they did like one where Dora was older. 
Right. I think that's Dora and Friends, right? Where she was like a pre-Tim. Mm-hmm. I, the only thing I remember about that is that there was an upset that always happens when a big company ages up their IP and they like drew Dora to be over-sexualized as a preteen and there was a big issue. Like anytime mm. they redesign the Disney princesses, suddenly they're thinner. Like there's, you know, it was like right. that, but for Dora. And I remember there was um, quite a bit of upset and they ended up changing the design, I think rightfully so. But it's just always, I'm like, how is that still happening? Right. And I think that that's something that this movie avoids mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way that I was so pleased about yeah so i didn't watch the cartoon uh as you might have noticed when earlier i said tiktoker which i actually think is the right phrase but anyway i'm so old i think that's right i think so i was being i was being old Uh, yeah 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 jamie (laughs) the point is i had aged out of being the target demographic for Dora and Blue's Clues. I never watched any of those. In fact, I never had Nick Jr. I didn't have cable right. until I was an adult. So stuck with Arthur and Dragon Tales. Oh, Dragon Tales slapped. Dragon Tales <laughs> did slap. I feel like it was underrated. Where's the live action? Actually, I don't want it. But <laughs> oh yeah, please don't. But I remember they introduced the Colombian kid. I think it was a bit after I had aged out of it, but my sister was watching it, mm. and they introduced like a Colombian kid in one of the later seasons and becomes like a main character. I didn't know that. I think oh. I cried, and I was like too old to cry over Dragon Tales when that happened. <laughs> You're never too old to cry over Dragon Tales. I didn't know there was a Colombian character on Dragon Tales. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. It meant a lot to me. Man. Even though I didn't watch it anymore. <laughs> You're just like, well, good for children. Yeah, good for the Colombian kids out there, including my sister, I guess. Right. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, goes to show how important representation is. That's true. But so there was no reason why i was so excited to see dora and the lost city of gold but i was like i'm gonna go see this movie i think it's because again like adventurers trying to find lost cities or lost relics is like my mm-hmm. one of my favorite subgenres. so i was like cool a movie where this like vaguely familiar character to me is doing that i'll go see it so i went to see it in theaters loved it had a blast uh, and have wanted to cover it on the podcast ever since. So here we are, finally doing it. And we got we got a fair amount of um, we got a fair amount of requests uh, when the movie originally came out too. Yeah, because this movie, like, what I'm excited. To, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but it this movie does subvert a lot of. I mean, because uh, Jose, we we did um, romancing the stone. <laughs> For our first adventure movie, which makes most of the mistakes you can make in this genre. Mm -hmm. And so it was it was interesting to watch an adventure movie that centers on a woman that came out 30 years later and see how things changed. Yeah, I haven't watched that one uh, because a lot of people would bring it up when I mentioned that I was Colombian mm-hmm. and uh, I was like um, I don't want to see what like a 1984 depiction of Colombia is like you can skip it Just... <laughs> you can skip it yeah very jealous of everyone of every Colombian who gets to move to the US now because they won't be getting like oh like narcos or like oh like romancing the stone when they said they're from here instead they have Encanto which you right. know huge improvement mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you 
Um, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. Janie, this sounds like an all-new format. Podcasting 2 is finally here. Thoughtful perspectives on current events. Stunning, sexy, bold interviews with an all-star lineup of guests. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line, the first ever. Be a part of the Beauty Translated Transcendental Podcasting Experience by calling our helpline at 678-561-2785. For any problem you may have, we will do our best to make it worse. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. And we're back. Um... Should I dive into the recap for Dora and the Lost City of Gold? <laughs> yeah, good luck. This is a wild one. <laughs> okay, so we meet young Dora and her cousin Diego when they're six years old, give or take. 
they love exploring the Amazon rainforest where they live. We meet Boots the monkey, we meet Dora's backpack, we meet her map briefly. I think these are all characters in the animated series. Yes. Yes, they and okay. and you won't believe this, they're way less scary looking <laughs> as cartoons. <laughs> yeah, Boots design. Oh my god, Danny Trejo Boots is what they should have soniced that cuz it looked mm-hmm. Boots looked too much like like a, a very real monkey but like kind of blue. I didn't love it. It is not a good design for Boots. Just I did not care for it at all. That's like my biggest complaint of the movie. Same. And the CGI animals in general, because I think Swiper the fox also has a weird character design slash like CGI that looks like it was from like 2005. Like it seems really outdated. Swiper kind of has these bedroom eyes in the, like, (laughs) did you, I, a scary CGI character for sure. But then like these piercing blue eyes and I'm like, wow, they really went above and beyond on that specific part of the character, which I don't think is Mm. how the cartoon even looks. I'm like, why'd they give him these like flirtatious, (laughs) I don't know. I've I've had PMS for 500 days. Maybe maybe it was, the eyes weren't flirtatious, and I'm just like fully removed from reality. I don't know though because there are so many examples of people seeing an animated fox in a kids movie and it making them very horny. Oh, because is- the Disney Robin Hood. Oh, is yes. Like, oh, my is, God. Is a sexual awakening for a lot of people. Isn't that like a famously furry, like, cornerstone? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I love a good furry cornerstone. That <laughs> I didn't know that. That's wild. Yeah. And and then also, like, I know Fantastic Mr. Fox, people get all, all foamed up for, mm. for that fox as well. I get it. But let's not get into it. <laughs> much none of us want to discover that tonight <laughs> no right. but like swiper was on screen and there were moments where it's like is this a date you know <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is wild okay it's probably benicio del toros's voice it yes doesn't hurt does not hurt <laughs> i also completely forgot that part of what was satisfying about this movie when it came out was the just like when you first see the trailer and you're like, that's so many famous people for what this movie appears to be. You're like, the the and Danny Trejo as Boots. And you're like, huh? Mm-hmm. What? Because Boots in the, Caitlin, in the cartoon, Boots is like a five-year-old. It's like Boots is... Okay, that's funny. Certainly not an adult man. <laughs> uh-huh. Much less Danny Trejo. <laughs> like, anyways. I love that. Scary looking Boots. Okay, so we meet Scary Boots and other of Dora's sidekick characters we meet dora's mom and dad her mom elena played by eva longoria and her dad cole played by michael pena who famously chucky cheese's favorite actor also famously a scientologist well those are my pena facts (laughs) michael pena is a scientologist yeah yeah he's pretty he's 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 not like a, a super like public, like, you know, Tom cruising around about it Scientologist, but he's definitely a Scientologist mm-hmm. who, in one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time, Chuck E. Cheese interviewed Michael Pena on his channel. He's never interviewed Ooh, anyone. Weird. And then out of nowhere, he was like, today I have an interview with my favorite actor, Michael Pena. What? <laughs> It was to promote Tom and Jerry, another Michael Pena movie with a lot of bad CGI. Mm -hmm. 
Huh. Okay. Well, Michael Pena rocks. And that's yeah. literally everything I know about him all in a row. <laughs> I'm learning so much about Michael Pena. Right. <laughs> okay. So Dora's parents are professors, archaeologists, maybe not super clear what their exact jobs are, but they're professors of some sort. They're explorers. And they're explorers, right? <laughs> not treasure hunters, but we'll get to that. So they tell Dora and Diego about the legend of Parapata, a lost Incan city of gold, which Elena and Cole are trying to find. But again, they don't intend to keep the gold because they make the distinction between explorers and treasure hunters, where explorers equals good, treasure hunters equals bad. So it feels like they're working more in like a historian, like documenting history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Which is cool. I'd never heard that distinction made in this genre before ever. True. It feels very like self-aware in that regard. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is, you know, pretty interesting given the fact that like, even even very recent adventure movies make a lot of mistakes in that regard. Including mm-hmm. one that came out recently, a.k.a. Uncharted, oh. which sucked. And then at the time of this recording, The Lost City, starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, has not yet been released. But I would be surprised, honestly, if it makes any of those distinctions and is very self-aware. We'll see. Yeah. But anyway, the next day, Dora has to say goodbye to cousin Diego, who moves back to the States. Then we cut to 10 years later. Dora, now played by Isabella Merced, who was, I think, Isabella Moner at the time. She is running around the jungle. She's still exploring. She's talking to animals. She's talking to the camera. And she is looking for Parapata. She is so wonderful. Her performance Mm -hmm. was giving me Amy Adams and Enchanted. Like it was so like cartoony, but also like grounded enough. And like, she's just like lights up Every scene she's in, I loved her. Mm-hmm. I'd never, I'd, I'd never seen this actress before, and I just fell in love with her. Same. That is a very good comparison because it is, it is kind of feel like, like that kind of like satire that doesn't really get mean. It's very yeah. like mm-hmm. we're having fun with the character without having to, you know, make like cheap jokes about it. It's very, very sincere in a way that makes it so enjoyable. Right. Yeah. Especially because it gets commented on a little later when Diego after they've like been in school for a little bit and Diego's like don't you see that like everyone's making fun of you for the way you are and she's like yeah I see it but like this is just who I am like this is how I am and I'm not gonna stop being myself because other people don't like it and Dora it was just very sweet was sweetie I think one of my notes when watching the movie is I would die for Dora (laughs) (laughs) yeah she is such a sweetheart and like i i did like like that's something that again it's like oh wow you really there's a bad version of this there's a lot of times in this movie where it could have gone down a very like generic boring road where it's like dora has to change to fit into high school Mm -hmm. and like dora gets a makeover from sammy to fit into high school but she doesn't change she stays herself 
wins people over and then all of a sudden the high school portion of the movie suddenly ends and it's a different movie um (laughs) which was wild but i was on board a very gracious transition Mm -hmm. she's kidnapped out of the movie that started and then a second movie (laughs) starts hey it works for me Um, i liked it yeah okay so she like her parents is now looking for parapata and she finds a big clue which turns out her parents already know about and they already have plans to head to peru to find parapata but they don't think dora is ready to come along so they send her to live with her aunt and uncle and cousin diego in Los Angeles ever heard of it? She goes to uh, think of fictional Silver Lake High School. Yeah, called Silver Lake High School. <laughs> Is it really called Silver Lake High School? In the movie, I think so, yeah. I love that they keep calling it the city. It's like, <laughs> if it weren't for the map that they showed, like when she's flying, right. we wouldn't really know. They just keep saying, like, yeah, you know, they moved to the city and they live in the jungle. Right, right. It feels very, like, tongue-in-cheek to the way that the show would refer to places. Yeah. I don't know if it was on mm. purpose, but it always got a giggle out of me when they were like, yes, in the city. Dora, welcome to the, the city. city. <laughs> like, they didn't know where they want to shoot. Right, like, I, di- I didn't think about the fact that that could have been intentional, like, in a reference to the show, because I was just like, there's, there's a lot of this movie that is, like, kept extremely vague, that you're just like why mm-hmm. i mean at least location wise i was like uh, okay i don't know I don't, we could talk about it but right. yeah well the way that like the first indiana jones movie when indiana jones is like stealing an artifact from indigenous people the text on the screen just says like south america and it's like do you want to be more specific <laughs> like and they were where like, in south america <laughs> no thank you Listen, it's the South American jungle. What what else do you want? <laughs> right. Um, okay, so um, Dora is sent to live with Cousin Diego in the city, a.k.a. Los Angeles, and specifically the neighborhood of Silver Lake, which is Ooh. one of the cooler neighborhoods in That's Los Angeles. That's where I live. Woo-hoo. We got brunch. <laughs> Come on by. <laughs> I do um, miss Silver Lake. It's great. Definitely one of the one of the best neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so her parents want Dora to go to the city and make friends, but Dora doesn't know how to make friends. Then Dora arrives in L.A. She reunites with Diego, now played by Jeff Wahlberg. He oh, who okay. Mm. I was having a crisis this whole one of the things that bothered me about my top two maybe complaints about the movie that are silly Mm. are that Boots looks like shit (laughs) and that whoever's playing Diego is the worst actor I've ever seen. I was like, why is this teen actor doing such a bad job to the point where like I feel like the music was doing heavy lifting for him sometimes. And I was like, oh, I guess he's sad. Um, But he was just like Mm. sitting there. He's Mark Wahlberg's nephew. That is why he is bad at acting and in the movie. That's why his name is Jeff Wahlberg. I that's why his name is Jeff Wahlberg, because all the (laughs) other young actors in the movie are doing. I think I thought we're doing a great job like they they were really fun. They're doing kind of these like theater kid performances that the movie requires. And then you just have like this guy who's like, Dora, I am cool. <laughs> I am cool, Dora. I'm I'm the cool guy at school. Right. And then he's like, I have a crush. And I was like, why is this kid so bad? It's because he's like weird nepotism. 
Huh. At first, I thought you were implying that he was bad because he was related to Mark Wahlberg. I mean, which well, I would find. A... I mean, I think that <laughs> is the subtext. It's not, it's, it's not. It's not his fault that he's that his uncle is his uncle. It is his fault that he's not doing a very good job. We can't but... blame Mark on that one. No, <laughs> unfortunately, we can't. But maybe we should. He's promoted from manager at Wahlburgers to being in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe we can blame Mark Wahlberg if Mark Wahlberg gave him acting lessons, which I'm fine with that headcanon as explaining why Jeff is not very good. He um, was always talking as if he had like a bunch of marbles in his mouth. There was like one line in the museum where I was like, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, we need another take from Jeff. Like he was just like, oh, here we go again. Like he's, he was, and then I was like, maybe he's just doing too convincing of a job of being a teen boy who's not interested because teen boys who aren't interested mumble mm-hmm. all day long sure but i'm like jeff do you know the camera's on <laughs> i just it was like i don't know i uh, there i don't mean to tease it. i just had to check to make sure that he's like yeah he's like 26 years old jeff mm. you did a stinky job but that's okay <sighs> you'll get other chances <laughs> you're nepotism right um uh, Okay, so Dora goes to her first day of high school. She meets a couple fellow students, including Sammy, played by Madeline Madden, who she needs to be the smartest person in the room and who Diego thinks is mean and awful. And we also meet Randy, played by Nicholas Coombe. I I don't know how to say that name. He has been beamed in from 2005. Like, what is <laughs> this kid's haircut is like Hannah Montana. I was like, children don't have this haircut anymore. It was just that was another mm-hmm. fascinating element that just felt very outside of time. He had the haircut that all of the characters in the fourth Harry Potter movie have. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like bad Rupert Grint hair. Like, it's <laughs> what. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm tearing these young men to shreds. <laughs> I'm like, Jeff Wahlberg, no talent. This kid. It's your PMS, Jamie. It's <laughs> This is how your PMS is manifested. I'm just bullying young actors. That's okay. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, so Randy is kind of a, like, quote, unquote, nerdy kid who is really into astronomy. Both he and Sammy are social misfits, as is Dora, who is super friendly to everyone, but everyone thinks that she's a dork. Even Diego is embarrassed of her, especially at a dance where Dora dances all silly. I love I love that they did not uh again, just like a, a this movie's so funny to me, where it's like they call they're like more like Dorka. I'm like, okay, we need a punch up. <laughs> Did we get one punch up writer on this? Like Dorka. Like, Jesus. <laughs> But again, you know, high school bullies, like in real life, can't come up with anything much more clever than that. That's that is true. true. I had I had a theory that Nicholas Coombe, the haircut guy, mm-hmm. I looked at him. I was like, I think he's secretly 30 years old. And mm. that does happen. I feel like there's always a it happened on Hannah Montana where there I was, was like a 17 say. year old who was like <laughs> 500. It was like wild. Huh. And he was uh, he was he was 27 when this movie came out. OK, so, so that's yeah. like euphoria casting kind of, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Degra- not Degrassi. Degrassi is appropriate. 
<laughs> wow, that's wild because Dora, like the actress, is like 20 now. I remember looking up. So she must have been like 17 when she shot this. Yeah. Yeah. I think she was like actually a teenager. And I think the other three actors are a little bit older, which is fine and like normal for movies. But I was like, mm, I think haircut guy is uh, working on his doctorate. And... <laughs> Okay. Um, all right. So we then get a montage of Dora going to school. She's also corresponding with her parents and tracking their journey through the rainforest on her map. But then she stops hearing from her parents and she grows concerned about that. Then on a field trip to the Natural History Museum, Dora, Diego, Sammy, and Randy all end up in a group together. And then all four of them are kidnapped by some bad guys, these mercenaries who are trying to find Dora's parents, who they know will lead them to Parapata. So Dora and friends, although they're not friends yet, Dora and company are taken to Peru, but then they're rescued by Alejandro, played by Eugenio Derbez, a friend of Dora's parents. Allegedly. Right. <laughs> they are all running away from the mercenaries, but then Swiper the Fox, voiced by Benicio del Toro, steals Dora's map, but Dora and friends are able to escape once again. And they set off to find Dora's parents. They find Dora's parents' car and her family symbol painted on a nearby tree. Their family symbol is also a red circle. Just a circle. <laughs> was, again, I'm just like, second draft, please. That's, this looks like a placeholder. <laughs> I was like, is this a hilarious joke? Because it would. it's a very funny joke no. if like their family symbol is just a red circle. And they keep calling it a loop. Diego's mm. like, the red loop. <laughs> right. Like, what? The mere what is... notion that Dora's family has like a symbol was very funny. That too. <laughs> that got a huge laugh out of me the first time when she's like, "My family symbol," and I was like, "I, I laughed so <laughs> like much." Like everyone has one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be like, "Oh look, a survey marker." Oh look, this is... no, it's my family symbol. It's like, right. oh my god, I, I don't know if that <laughs> was is... meant to be a joke, but it got a huge laugh out of me. It is funny. And then the fact that the symbol it could just have been there by accident because it's such a nothing like it's uh, it's like my family symbol would be a lit cigarette in someone's back pocket like it would be (laughs) you would know when it's my family symbol (laughs) but they're like red circle it's like god so they find that and dora and company head into the rainforest on foot to follow their trail they find dora's parents campsite but it's been ransacked But then Boots the monkey shows up and joins the group. Then there's a scene where Sammy has to poo. That's the whole thing. And then suddenly a bunch of arrows are being shot. We're just going to go past that? I I mean, I guess we can unpack the poo. There's a whole song. There's a whole song. Right. Okay. I, I kept trying to be like, is this progressive or is this just something that happens in the movie i guess it's like whatever it's like oh in adventure movies no one ever takes a shit and isn't that interesting and it's like oh women taking a shit you don't see that in movies very often Mm -hmm. but i'm like but do i want to i guess not really but but people really like really loved when melissa mccarthy pooped in bridesmaids they're like wow this is the first for some people that's how that scene change cinema because a lot of women a lot of people didn't know women pooped before that before that scene 
let women poop in movies but only she had to poop and then she was like i haven't pooped for 48 hours and i was like what <laughs> like they've only been gone for like six hours so it seems like she's having like a separate problem <laughs> yeah and no one else has to poop the whole movie so i think she is just like she went on the field trip constipated <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not sure she even gets to poop because as, yeah, right. soon, as soon as she starts pooping, then these arrows are shot at the group and they have to run away. Let women so... have dingleberries. <laughs> and... Okay, that okay. That's your subsect of my movement. Let women poop. Yes. Yeah, you say that, and then I stand up. I'm like, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a little poo left over. Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't finish and she didn't have, I mean, toilet paper, right? Yeah. So we don't know what's going on with Sammy, but <laughs> she's thrown into a love, yeah, th- before you know it, she's in she's in love. She's got tingleberries, she's in love. <laughs> she's <laughs> Anything's possible in this movie. <laughs> True. Okay, so all these arrows are being shot at them, and Alejandro thinks it's the Lost Guardians whose mission it is to protect Parapata. They manage to get away. They nearly cross paths with the mercenaries who are also now in the rainforest following the map to try to find Dora's parents. So they nearly cross paths with them, but then Dora and friends head in a different direction toward an old opera house but oh no they step into some quicksand and Alejandro almost dies but then the teens save him and the teens don't really save him though the plot saves him because it actually was quicksand that just fell into regular sand it was like a ledge yeah right like off yeah but they pull him out (laughs) from beneath and then also scorpions have sex on his head did you say that I did not say that. That feels worth mentioning. Scorpions do have sex on his head. This is a yes. PG movie. Dora excitingly saying, like, the scorpions are mating. They're mating. It's just, it's but just... then when you look at them, they're just kissing the scorpions. Yeah, they're, they're fucking Frenching each other. They're... <laughs> so they get out of the quicksand situation, and then they cross paths with an old woman who tells them Plot witch. right uh who tells them in the indigenous language of quechua yeah it's it's quechua that anyone who is seeking parapata is a curse or like will be cursed or i forget exactly what it is but then she offers to guide anyone who wants to go back home so sammy and randy say goodbye to the rest of the group and set off with the old woman but then they notice a tattoo of the symbol of the lost guardians which is far more intricate than the dora family symbol which is again just a circle (laughs) what if what if she also had a red circle (laughs) i'd be like wow she's part of dora's family Um, (laughs) but also you see a milk cap you're like wow red circle they must know dora (laughs) I'm going to get that tattooed on me, just a red circle. And then we be like, what is that? I'm like, like Dora's family will understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you know, you know. Right. Exactly. So they see this tattoo on the old woman's wrist and they freak out and they run back toward the others. 
Meanwhile, Dora, Diego, and Alejandro make their way through this patch of giant flowers, which release hallucinogenic spores that make them just completely trip balls. The movie becomes animated for a few minutes. It's like Judd Apatow 2000 and something like you're you're like <laughs> it's like a seth rogan movie for like a minute i ca- I liked that scene that was fun i loved it it was a cute way of inserting all the like the show art because it's animated in yeah. the style of the show right right uh, and they they feature all the characters that didn't make it to a live action bit and it's oh, just bull. yeah mm-hmm. and like the, the iguana and like uh, it, it was just very it was just very cute in a very non-cute context i guess right <laughs> It was like Dora's tripping and suddenly it's like, oh, the animated show is like, sure. Right. Because they just wanted to get that in there. Yeah. I'm wondering if they're like, oh, let's like pay homage to the animated show. How can we do that? What if the characters trip balls and hallucinate that they're all animated? This movie is so wild. Like I just, it did remind me (laughs) how like. I feel like this was true when we were kids as well, but like how Nickelodeon, they were just always doing weirder stuff and you could always count on a Nickelodeon cartoon to have stuff that was like slightly not appropriate for children Mm. in a way that like Disney uh, simply didn't. So they're like, okay, we're going to make our protagonist a teenager who's on drugs. And you're like, cool, it's Euphoria, (laughs) Euphoria High School. Dora actually goes to Euphoria High School. That would have been that such... is where she goes. It, does you? I haven't seen Euphoria. Does it take place in Los Angeles? Yeah, I think so. That would yeah, be I'm pretty sure. So funny if they had the movie with this tone. They're like, oh, she's not in Euphoria, but they all go to the same high school, <laughs> and Dora's just dealing with some very different problems. They're actually they're kind of comparatively very innocent. That would be. I've seen the first episode and a half of Euphoria. It's such a heavy show that I like just could not keep watching. I know, but it deals I'm with pretty some, sure. It, uh, it, yeah, they live in the valley, so put Dora in that show. <laughs> it would. She would really. You know. I again. I don't. I don't watch the show because I. I like one of the teenagers in this movie. I'm 500 years old, but but I think it would be. I think she would bring some much needed levity. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Okay, so they're all tripping, and then Sammy and Randy find Dora and Diego and Alejandro again, and then they all set off to find the entrance of Parapata, but they then fall into an aqueduct that starts filling with water. They figure out how to escape that, and right then, Dora's parents find them. And Dora explains why they're there and that Alejandro rescued them. And her parents are like, we don't know anyone named Alejandro because twist Alejandro is a bad guy who is working with the mercenaries who right then show up and capture Dora and her friends and parents. That was very weird to me. Like it was for a twist that is kind of obvious like it took me by surprise the first time I saw it because I'm used to Eugenio Derbez being kind of like just like the funny sidekick Mm -hmm. like to me he's just to me he's just donkey from Shrek yeah (laughs) He, he does the Spanish voice for donkey so whenever i hear him it's just like that's just donkey wow and then when he was the bad guy I was like oh my god they made eugenio the best the bad guy it's just like i felt betrayed just like them <laughs> i mean there's also so much foreshadowing because right after he's rescued from the quicksand he's like 
I'm a bad guy. I'm such a bad guy. And he's basically just telling you that he's the bad guy. And then Dora's like, no, 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 you're not. We all feel like that sometimes. That was Dora's one fumble. But then I was like, she's an explorer. She's not a journalist. So... Right. I I can't believe that didn't that didn't cue me in. I I, I was me I definitely gasped the first time around. I was like, what? Uh, that twist took me by so much surprise when I saw it in Wait, theaters. Really? Yeah. Guys. Really? <laughs> He's like, I'm a friend of your parents, but you've never heard of me. Also, I'm wearing the scarf that the villain of the movie always wears. He's wearing a he's wearing a neck scarf. Look, villains always wear neck scarfs. <laughs> True. In Paddington Two, he wears a. Cravat. Cravat. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> okay. So they see Parapata off in the distance, but before they get to the entrance, Boots shows up and unties the teens and they're able to escape. But they need to get into Parapata so that they can get the gold and use it to bargain for Dora's parents' lives. And then that's when we get the fun scene where Boots actually talks to Dora Boots is voiced by Danny Trejo. This, mm. no, <laughs> Boots is voiced by Danny Trejo. He, I thought it was so funny, but also the fact that Boots is the one giving. I was like, is Dora still on drugs? Is this something that's still? Mm. <laughs> and he tells her like, friendship is important, and growing up is is goals, and you go, girl boss. Uh-huh. And then he never speaks again. I liked it. it. It's comedy. Comedy gold. The real gold in this movie is the comedy. Wow. <laughs> I think we can all agree. That is true. It is a surprisingly funny movie in terms of how smart the humor is. Right. It's just, yeah. it's just the, it very rarely do they go for like a very obvious joke. Except for the poop hole. Uh, I wouldn't even call that obvious. But that was still subversive. That was, it was, a, it was just a <laughs> weird choice. <laughs> Right. That was intellect. That was an intellectual. <laughs> I kind of expected that kind of humor when I found out that it was directed by uh, James Bobbin, who directed The mm-hmm. Muppets, the the two the 2011 reboot. Yeah. That I adore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that takes that same kind of like half joking but very sincere approach to its IP. Yeah. And I was very pleasantly surprised when watching this that I was like, oh my god, they he managed to keep that same tone. It's right. just uh, just very fun when the reboots don't feel the need to like make fun of the IP to be like, oh, we get that this is silly. Uh, yeah. We're making fun of it with you. It's just very... Yeah. I agree. The real gold is the comedy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> uh, James Bobbin also wrote for Flight of the Concords, I believe. Yeah. So lots of good humor here. Anyway, so after solving an astronomy-based jungle puzzle, the teens are able to open the entrance to Parapata. They go into a temple. They have to solve some more jungle puzzles. There are various booby traps and dangers along the way. Then they come upon a couple piles of treasure and the last puzzle. They have to make an offering to the gods via a small golden monkey statue. And then the offering has to be what the Incas revered the most. So Alejandro shows up and he thinks the answer is gold. So he makes an offering of gold, but he's wrong. And the ground opens up beneath him and swallows him, except he doesn't die because 
it's a kids movie. It's PG, yeah. So he's just kind of hanging on Although, the wall. Although <laughs> this does feel like a movie that is like wild enough and enough like surprising thing happen things happen that I was I was prepared for someone. To, I mean, not like a main character, but I'm like someone could mm-hmm. die in this movie. Someone. I True. I don't know why when I rewatched this I had the vague idea that Swiper had died. Oh. Like, and then I was like, and then I rewatched this and I was like, oh, maybe I imagined it, but I, I don't know why. <laughs> I genuinely was like, yeah, Swiper died in the Dora movie. It's very, it's, it's just like, and there's like, oh, no, I guess I made that up. That's like the sort of thing, though, where if you told me that, I wouldn't doubt you for a second. And like, that's a lie that could, that has some legs. Yeah. Four legs. Swiper's legs. Whoa, Jamie. Thank you. I have PMS. So you keep saying. (laughs) Okay, so then the old woman from earlier shows up with the lost guardians of Parapata. The old woman turns out to be a young Incan goddess? Question mark. I think they call her a princess. Princess, right? She's played by Koryanka Kilcher. Dora explains to her that they are explorers, not treasure hunters. And then Dora makes an offering to the monkey statue of water, which is the correct answer. And then doors open to reveal an enormous golden monkey statue. But then Swiper shows up, who has not perished. He shows up. Alive and well. (laughs) He's alive and well. Kind of (laughs) hot. He shows up and swipes the little monkey statue, and then all hell breaks loose, so they have to rush out of Parapata. Dora puts the little monkey statue back, and then Parapata seals itself closed again. So then Dora and her family and friends return to their house in... We're not sure where, maybe... So the map that we see Dora leaving from, she's either in Colombia or Brazil, or like right on the border there. She's in the Amazon, I guess. She's in the Amazon, right. So they return to her house there, and her parents invite her on their next exploration, but Dora tells them she wants to return to L.A. and learn more about high school culture. Bad idea. At Euphoria High. She wants to go back to Euphoria High. That's the one thing you don't do. Don't go back there. Horrible shit happens at Euphoria High. Including a big song and dance number, which is how the movie ends, where Dora and her friends are singing and dancing about the adventure they were just on. And that's the end of the movie. So let's take another break and then we will come back to discuss. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. 
it's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. Janie, this sounds like an all-new format. Podcasting 2 is finally here. Thoughtful perspectives on current events. Stunning, sexy, bold interviews with an all-star lineup of guests. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line, the first ever. Be a part of the Beauty Translated Transcendental Podcasting Experience by calling our helpline at 678-561-2785. For any problem you may have, we will do our best to make it worse. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. And we are back. And where to begin? <laughs> yeah. Uh... I think we didn't establish how hot Swiper was. Like, enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, could we actually talk about that? Uh, I mean, I, I want to make sure that we really are hitting on everything. And I think that that is mm. obviously the most relevant course of discussion here. <laughs> Swiper, yeah. look, Swiper is very hot. Uh, not very. <laughs> I, I take back the very. <laughs> I'm... Uh... <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's, let's, you know, I, I'm going to feel so differently about it tomorrow. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, um, Jose, I, I am, I would love to sort of start this discussion by talking about looking at this movie and, and looking at this genre for your video essay and kind of taking us through, through that journey and sort of starting the conversation there. Uh, yeah, just like Caitlin said, I, I feel like I've always been also really into that Lost City kind of story. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I grew up watching Indiana Jones, and uh, I remember watching The Road to El Dorado a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. But even though I didn't, I didn't really like it, <laughs> it, 
the El Dorado myth was originated here in Colombia. Mm. So I always was like, oh, it's kind of like Colombia. I, and I watched it a lot. Even though the movie does not take place in Colombia, it is mm-hmm. it is just like a very like Mesoamerican aesthetic, mm-hmm. which yeah. is, you know, its own thing. But I feel like I always really loved adventure. And the more that I started learning, you know, growing up and everything, I realized like, oh, it's always so othering, like the adventure genre, almost by definition. Mm-hmm. And as I started to realize that... Th- the othering, like the object of the othering was, among other places, my country. Mm-hmm. It was even weirder. It was kind of like, oh, this thing that I've always enjoyed is just like, it has this like kind of like dark underside. Uh, is underside a thing? Yeah. <laughs> I make up words sometimes. Um, underbelly, side boob, whatever you want. Underbelly. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> dark side boob. <laughs> It has a it has a an underbelly, uh, a dark underbelly that I don't know that I was I started to get very curious about exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would you say that you're you yourself are an explorer? <laughs> yes, actually. If you're exploring <laughs> this topic, I am exploring the explorers exploring. Wow. <laughs> who explores the explorers? It's you, but who explores the explorers that explore the explorers? And why is Swiper sexy? <laughs> There's so many questions that we need to answer here. Truly. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I just remember that, that as a little kid, like the thing that I always said that I wanted to be when I grew up was like adventurer, explorer, etc. Mm-hmm. So uh, later as a grown up, like kind of like investigating about that was so it drew me so much to it. And yeah, you, you run into all these like lost city stories that are kind of like these outsiders finding a culturally important relic or place for this often extinct, sometimes hidden civilization mm-hmm. and it just has all these like colonial baggage to it it's very like it's it's kind of like you know oh yeah we we have to uncover this puzzle that was probably not ours to solve and find this place and you get that in a lot of things like you get that in, in the road to Eldorado, in all the indiana jones movies in like mm-hmm. national treasure i don't know <laughs> and all <laughs> In all these lost cities or like lost treasure stories. And I guess I approached Dora and the lost city of gold with a similar mindset. I was like, oh, it's probably going to be like that. Mm. But it feels so um, aware. Like we said, it's fe- it feels very self-aware of how this is often an issue. And it kind of like has its like built in disclaimers mm-hmm. to kind of have like kind of like have its cake and need it too. Right. It's just like, oh, we get to do like a fun adventure romp, but we also get to do it, you know, without all that baggage, which I don't think that's like very successful. I think that kind of baggage is harder to get rid of. But right. it is it is very cool that we are finding ways to tell these exciting like Lost City stories that I really enjoy in ways that are more aware mm-hmm. of the context in which they exist. Because, you know... Like, the city of gold as a myth was kind of made up by the Spanish, and that propelled, like, colonization across the Americas. Mm -hmm. So it is something that has very specific historical baggage. Right. That is now kind of like, oh, fun little goal, fun little quest. And it's like, yeah, but, but, (laughs) uh, so, I don't know, uh... 
I guess that's what always draws me to this kind of story is the kind of uh, approach that they will take. And it's just exciting. Like the jungle puzzles are fun. Mm -hmm. Randy? Randy says that, right? Yes. It's like in the Mm -hmm. movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your prompt. <laughs> no, that was amazing. <laughs> I felt like I derailed at some point. Not at all. No, I, I, first of all, we're, we're going to link your video in the description. It really is mm-hmm. wonderful and like so well done. And I did, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by this again, just like a simple choice that the movie makes that I thought was like a, le- like a lesser movie would have complicated needlessly it's like all of the kids are on the same page of being anti-colonial they know it they all agree to the point where they're like citing very specifically examples of like intense imperialism and colonialism as it pertains to adventure stories where they're like oh yeah you know england france america mm-hmm. like yeah that when when she says america and then she says like the united fruit company yeah. i was yeah. like oh my god a united fruit company mentioned in dora the explorer the movie <laughs> uh-huh. it was like it was like who writing this movie was like let's talk about corporate colonialism in the americas by way of a joke in dora the explorer right it's kind of amazing <laughs> like Odd- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oddly, the people who wrote this movie were three white men, and then also the director Directed is a white guy, guy, which does lend itself to a few things about this movie that are still tropey and like not very thoughtfully done, and we can get to those in a moment. But one of the reasons I like this movie so much when I first saw it is that it was such a departure from you know, like the Indiana Jones movies that I also grew up loving. But then once we unpacked one of those movies on this podcast, I was like, oh my God, like, oopsies, Mm -hmm. my bad for loving this movie so much. (laughs) It's kind of, it's kind of wild, the the stuff that the Indiana Jones movies get away with, even the latest one. Yeah. And hopefully the fifth one is different, but like, because I will be watching it. I'll go see it at least twice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, it's like, I was going to watch it, and then you cast Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Like, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's, it is kind of, it is kind of, I don't know. Yeah. The things that they get away with in some of, in, in those, especially the, the Temple of Doom and uh, Crystal's Call. It's just like, ah. Uh, Yipes. Yeah. So, so, so much of it is just, I mean, like, so much of the genre, like you were, like you were saying earlier, Jose, is just like, to a point where I feel like it's uniquely so ingrained in like anyone who grew up with Hollywood movies that it took me, I think probably embarrassingly long to interrogate. I was like, Oh, they're stealing from an indigenous culture Mm -hmm. and we're rooting for that. The whole movie, like that is such an insidious, absurd idea to, to grow up with to the point where it, even when I think we're, we're having a lot of, larger cultural conversations we weren't having you know 10 15 20 years ago there's still huge movies that can get away with doing the same old shit like you were saying with that was it the shitty tom holland movie that came out caitlin oh starring uh jeff Wahlberg's uncle as well that's what we should start calling him (laughs) god yeah dora just feels like such a departure from this not in every single way but in the way that Again, as you point out in your video, when it comes to the El Dorado myth, and then you can extend this to basically any movie about adventurers 
looking for any lost city, any lost treasure, any lost relic, anything like that. These stories are so steeped in imperialism and colonialism and asking the audience to root for white explorers who are trying to claim the treasure as their own, or at the very least, they're just showing up uninvited to other people's homes and and land cities and territories and trespassing and the indigenous characters who the white characters are normally stealing from or invading their space are never the protagonists of these movies they're like aggressively troped and othered and villainized and like right because it's also it's like even though way we use the term explorer as it pertains to white protagonists it's like no they're colonizers they're thieves they're not good people and we shouldn't be rooting for them to fuck each other at the end of the movie like it's just (laughs) so absurd and frustrating like and the dora movie also does not frame the indigenous people who they are trying to learn about either so that's you know problem number one where it's still Dora and her friends, who are largely non-white, so I guess there's that, but they're still invading the lost city and the people who still live there, mm-hmm. who are also, again, another trope here, but like magical, mystical, like... They are the only like magical aspect of the movie. Right. Like before, I, right. I didn't notice that until the rewatch, I was like, oh, there's no other magic other than the the indigenous transformation mm-hmm. and the curse in the city before that right it's kind of like yeah like that trope of the i don't know if magical indian quote unquote is a trope uh i, I think like yeah, I feel, it I sounds like so. the name of a trope mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like the name of a trope i just don't know if it's like a term right 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 i think i'm thinking of like a similar trope when it comes to black characters right but it does feel kind of like that thing where like it's the contrast between like the the sciency explorers and the magical indigenous, like the mystical mm-hmm, indigenous, mm-hmm. Uh, which is very rooted in you know, you know that those kind of like reasons for colonizing people. It's like oh well, they're doing witchcraft and they're mm-hmm. you know we need to stop them. Even the the whole like hiding thing, it's like it's also very rooted in this kind of uh here in colombia they talk about this uh indigenous malice Mm-mm. which is like it's where it's referred to like this uh habit of like you know like tricking and like hiding and it's just that uh, it's a, a very very bad concept that people just mention a lot when talking about how people white people here are so uh sneaky mm. It's just, oh, you know, we inherited the indigenous malice. And it's just like, mm, I feel like, you know, not wanting people to steal your things doesn't mean that you're, like, hiding something. That's not okay. malicious. So, yeah. So that brings me to another thing about this movie and many movies in this genre. But Dora is still guilty of it. And I Dora meaning the movie, not the specific character, because... <laughs> not the cartoon. Dora did nothing wrong herself. <laughs> Dora is seven years old, Caitlin. (laughs) So this Dora movie is what I mean. But okay, so think of like the arrows that the indigenous people fire at Dora and her friends. Think of the aqueduct Mm -hmm. that Dora and her friends get trapped in that belongs to the indigenous people. Think of the various jungle puzzles and booby traps and all that stuff that Dora and her friends have to 
solve and get past. So it's obviously completely understandable that these indigenous people would want to protect their land and, and their city and set up defenses against people invading their space and stealing from them. But these things are all presented as obstacles for Dora and her mm. friends to overcome. And from a storytelling perspective, the audience is rooting against the obstacles and rooting for the hero and her friends to overcome these obstacles. So in this way, the indigenous people are framed as an antagonistic force, the people and their defenses. Right. So it's it's so it's <laughs> I it's so frustrating because it's like, yeah, there are like moments where you're like, oh, the movie is doing the thing that the movie is very self-aware that it shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand why it's like because these are so entrenched in what this genre is. But it's like this movie gets around so much that there is a way for that to not happen because I guess that that is like the trickier part of, I really like, like we were talking about, I really appreciate and like how immediately Eva Longoria, I don't know the character's name. (laughs) Eva Longoria is Eva Longoria is Eva Longoria. But she says at the beginning of the movie, we are not treasure hunters. Treasure. She literally says treasure hunting, bad exploring good. Right. Which is like, okay, cool. But exploring also seems to permit and involve, like, (laughs) clearly just blowing past boundaries (laughs) that are clearly set. I mean, I guess that that's somewhat complicated by the fact that they're on a rescue mission, but it's like, I I don't know. It's kind of like that, um, the Indiana Jones thing about how he's good, he's, he's good, he's the good explorer in Indiana Jones because he's like, it belongs in a museum. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not like, he doesn't want to sell the things for profit or anything. He wants to put it in a museum. And that's like framed as the good thing. But like, it's like, you're deciding if that should be in a museum. That doesn't belong to you. It's not your choice to make. Right. Yeah. And it's a museum that's like a shrine to imperialism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so here it's kind of like, well, we're exploring. It's like, you're encroaching upon other people's territory. Mm-hmm. And I get that they think that this the city's abandoned and they're like in an anthropological like mission to mm-hmm. discover. And it's like, okay, I guess that's understandable uh, in, a, in a way of like, well, you know, but you also don't have any like Inca people around to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the Inca people are still there. Right. And want nothing to do with Dora. Like it's... <laughs> Yeah, when they discover that the Guardians are still, like, trying to safeguard the city and everything, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess we should keep going. Here. Maybe, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. big deal, they're trying to kill us with arrows, but maybe we should just keep going. And it's like, well, no, that's not the takeaway. Yeah, it, it is a, a tricky thing that, again, it could be, like, just like, oh, we're working with uh, Inca you know, anthropologists, and they also want to discover their city Mm -hmm. and something like that. Like, this is not a problem that doesn't have a solution. Right, sure. I think I always use as a good example of what an adventure lost X thing Mm -hmm. could look like is Moana. Yeah, Because it's just... (laughs) Moana. (laughs) It's just kind of like, oh, she's discovering something that belongs to her own culture. Mm -hmm. And so she's going through this quest that she has a personal connection to. Right. So it's like, I'm not saying that they should have made, you know, Dora Inca. I I guess uh, that would come with its own thing, especially with no indigenous writers. 
Right. They don't even have like Latina writers, much Mm-mm. less Native Americans in a in a more like general way, not just the United States. Like right. indigenous Americans from the two continents, from the whole. Right, right, it's right. It's weird. It's I, I I still haven't figured out how to go around the fact that uh, people in the U.S. call their country America. Uh, it always it always provides it a bit of a sucks. language barrier for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I always try to say the states. Yeah. Not that other countries don't have state. Like it's right. It's like. But no one else refers I like to, to call themselves. It the 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 big old piss pot. I like to call it <laughs> the big toilet. <laughs> I like to call it the poo hole. The the poo hole that they dig for Sammy to poo in. That's what our country is. <laughs> Wild. Anyway, <laughs> that's. I mean, that's an excellent. I mean, that's an excellent point of just like a way that you can keep the adventure story and ground it in a way that isn't taking great pains to other another culture, which the movie keeps telling you, and we know we shouldn't be doing that. So then, when it starts to happen more and more, like into the second and then the third act, especially when Dora meets the Incan princess i guess i mean they, they, it's barely a conversation dora is essentially just like no i'm good and the incan princess is like oh okay, okay. and like that's kind of it you're just like no 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 that's not <laughs> what it, it's interesting because i i don't know i i feel like again like i said like the movie wants to have it both ways it, it wants to enjoy this while also being more aware of it mm-hmm. which is a thing that i want for it because i love the adventure genre and i don't want it to die mm-hmm. you know it needs to evolve kind of like westerns it right. needs to find something that's not colonialism to attach itself to right and i think like part of where it begins is to start treating the cultures around the object as like real cultures and not just like set dressing totally and i feel like this movie gets so much of it right it's like very it's very kind of quote-unquote faithful to the idea that we have of the incas in that time Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's very like it gets a lot of stuff weirdly wrong it uses a lot of shorthand Mm -hmm. that is like oh i i don't know if you needed that like in one point in the in the aqueduct thing when they're trying to escape it or i don't know if it's the aqueduct in one of the the jungle puzzles Mm -hmm. There's the golden ratio. Yeah. They refer oh, yeah. literally the golden ratio. And I was like, that's Greek. Yeah. <laughs> like, why couldn't you find, like, uh, you know, an Incan mark of wisdom? Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's, or like knowledge. It's just always. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. It's like when in in other movies, they're in like South America, but you see like Mayan pyramids. Right. And it's just like, no. That's not where those <laughs> that's are. That's not what. <laughs> Yeah, that's not what this architecture looks like. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have so much of the, oh, the astronomy thing, that's pretty good. And it's like, yeah, that's, you're you're on the right path. But then they're like, oh, they, this movie does a, a better job than others, treating this as, like, an actual culture mm-hmm. and not just the generic south-of-the-border indigenous. Right. Which is always, like, colorful feathers and pyramids and gold right <laughs> which is which is something we we discussed a little bit in our romancing the stone episode because of the many ways that that movie completely fumbles representing colombian culture it like what you're describing of the all over the place just 
lumping in everything other they didn't shoot the movie in Colombia it was shot in Mexico it's like just all of this stuff that is not furthering a conversation that needs to be happening among moviegoers about mm-hmm. you know resisting this urge to lump every non-white culture into one villainous force like it's just absurd how yeah right yeah it's this uh, generic other that is like yeah that that's them that that's what indigenous people look like mm. and it's always like Oh, if you're doing an adventure movie that is specifically about anthropologists, I guess, explorers, mm-hmm. but I think they're probably anthropologists. They seem to be bad at the actual <laughs> like archaeology aspect. They so, right. And they don't seem to know what their job title is, which I'm just, they're, they're like, we're professors. They're like, okay, so you, there are no professors of exploring. <laughs> that's right other than indiana jones i guess <laughs> right yeah, i guess that is true i mean i i, I that felt like more tongue-in-cheek where i'm like oh, wow these 45 year olds are like i explore <laughs> um <laughs> it has that same energy of the city the jungle and yeah. that it's just very like it's kind of like a kid uh, like a kid kind of wrote that right i i like that, <laughs> I thought that was professor fun. of yeah. exploring <laughs> <laughs> another thing i wanted to talk about and I'm I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on this. So for the Incan princess who also has magical mystical powers because she transforms from an old woman into a young woman. Mm-hmm. So like like we said there's that kind of like trope of like the the mystical magical Indian. I feel like there's also maybe the stoic indian stereotype at play here and then indian just being a a, a term to refer to indigenous people in general but uh i think that's the name of that trope but all this to say that this princess slash goddess character again we know nothing about this person so i don't even know how to describe them or identify them because that's mm-hmm. how little... I think in the credits, they refer to her as a princess. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Not that we know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from the movie. In the movie, it's just like, she she might as well be, you know, like the security guard. <laughs> a very nicely dressed security guard. <laughs> right. So when she's on screen, she's barely speaking. She's not really reacting to anything that's happening in this whole climactic sequence. These intruders have come in some of whom to steal the treasures of the city, others to archaeologically document the this, this, this city. Um, they're just tourist thing. They're just visiting. <laughs> they're just tourists. She's really not reacting at all, mostly just kind of standing there stoically and totally permitting Dora to make this offering to the gods. And it just confused me as to why, if there are these, like, lost guardians who have all these measures to deflect intruders and all these, like, defense, defensive uh, things. Jungle that, puzzles. Ju- ju- exactly. Jungle <laughs> puzzles. To deter intruders, why then, when they do find, uh, when the intruders are there, is she just like, mm-hmm, go ahead. So I feel like there's that stereotype at play and either way, it's just an example of the one indigenous character with us. Uh, actually, no, because 
Well, Tamora Morrison, shout out to that actor who plays one of the mercenaries, who is Maori. We've talked about him on the show before. Mm. He's in Aquaman, among many other things. Oh, yeah, he's uh, and he's like uh, Moana's dad, isn't he? Yes, I have to double check that, but yes. So he plays one of the mercenaries, which is also weird casting to cast an indigenous actor as one of the people who is like mm-hmm. trying to steal from indigenous people. Yeah. This movie is too inclusive. <laughs> right. It's, uh... it's like more indigenous mercenaries treasure hunting right you're like right that's not the representation we need you're like who who is that representing like that who is that helping (laughs) i (laughs) yeah i i i don't think i even recognized him but you're well because he's usually like boba fett and so he's got like a mask on but yeah so that's weird casting i guess i know him from being moana's dad so i couldn't have recognized him from that either (laughs) he's also Uh, a cartoon (laughs) right so anyway this princess this um incan princess is at the very least someone who we don't know anything about which is just another part of this issue of these stories never being told from the point of view of the characters who are being invaded and stolen from or just like you know these these stories rarely center and again like Moana is one of these few examples of an adventure story that you know does center an indigenous character learning about her own history and heritage Mm. but this movie leans into too many of these tropes yeah and like you said, I the the whole like stoic affect is very, it's like it's like in most in most of these kinds of movies, like the indigenous women women tend to be either, you know, very, for lack of a better word, very like slutty, I guess, very like sexualized, very sexualized. sexually available. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the better word. <laughs> <laughs> found it. We found it. <laughs> It's just that the way that they're portrayed, I'm just, it's just right. it's just, no, it tends to be <laughs> yeah. like very American slutty Extreme, sure, kind yeah. of trope or like the very stoic, uh, you know, it's just kind of like, I think like uh, Disney's Pocahontas kind of is somewhere in between. She's very stoic, but she also like falls in love with this guy like very soon. And she's just like dressed differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's just wearing less than any other Disney princess. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like that, uh, I guess, if you have to choose between her being one or the other, I guess stoic is the better option. But, you know, she can also be fun or angry or like, you know, a more interesting emotion than just like blank. Right. But yeah, it is kind of interesting. I mean, I guess we did see her as the old lady, right? Because she's like the two characters. Right. She's the the old lady that they run into that kind of warns them against it. Who is fun. She's smashing things with rocks. She's... But I feel like that was like another trope of like older woman, bad and scary and confusing. And sure. you don't know anything about her. But for some reason, when she turns into a younger woman, you still know nothing about her. Yeah. But it's, it's, just but like... it's good now. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> because uh, old women are bad. She's young and hot now. So now we like her. Yeah. So now we're <laughs> like, oh, I'm not afraid of her anymore. It turns out I'm afraid of uh, older women because that <laughs> is movies. It's kind of like the, the beast in Beauty and the Beast. Like, oh, sorry. I didn't know you were a hot young sorceress. 
right and like she's right, still yeah. fucking your life up yeah. like she's <laughs> and statistically sexy people are more likely to ruin your life that's just a fact oh can confirm yeah mm-hmm. so it is it is it is a very it, again the the indigenous portrayal in the movie is like i guess the most confused aspect of it mm-hmm. the the kind of like they keep validating the indigenous claim over their own territory they keep saying like this is not ours when you have to return that dora returns mm-hmm. the gold that swiper stole it's just kind of like <laughs> but swiper is a colonizer Right, so my first a colonizer. <laughs> In the credit song, they have that monkey statue again. So apparently, Dora's family did steal it. Oh, I thought that was just the one that they already had. Oh, did they already have one? Yeah, the one that uh, I, th- I think that's the one that Dora finds. Okay, okay, right. I forgot. So about I was like, that. that would be a huge miss. I, I, that didn't. I thought you were going to mention. Uh... I thought for a second I thought you were to mention my one qualm with the the credits musical number mm. is that they they have to have that very tired joke of like oh indigenous food grows in that they they have the, that one bit in which they force Eugenio de the best to eat bugs mm. and it's just always like uh, right it's like I can't believe we haven't gotten rid of that they even I don't think a lot of people watch the Jungle Cruise movie. Uh, hello. I, I, I saw like it five hundred times. I mean, I, I mean, I watched it because I kind of love the ride, uh, mm-hmm. and I love that aesthetic. So I was like, oh, maybe this will do something interesting, like Dora did. Um, no, no. But they have this one moment in which they're like at the and one of the indigenous like villages, and the 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 guy's like, oh, this beer is very nice, and then the. Dwayne Johnson is like that's masado it's fermented spit mm-hmm. and you know it's very much like the joke of like oh indigenous food is gross but like guess what that's not what masado is masado <laughs> is one of the most popular drinks here in Colombia and it's not fermented spit and it's just like kind of like why do you feel the need to keep making that same joke over and over again that it's like the temple of doom dinner scene Monkey it's just brain like thing. yeah exactly it's like do you know what Europeans eat? It's like, <laughs> yeah. But I was about to say, I was like, meanwhile, you got. I'm I'm just dunking on my own Irishness over and over. But I'm like, canonically, nastiest food on the planet. I mean, we eat hot dogs. Hot dogs are okay. Just... Shut up. They're <laughs> and I love hot dogs. Yeah, that's right. But it's just April twenty twenty three. My hot dog book is coming out about how awesome they. No, I'm kidding. It's about how it's pretty. It's pretty fucked up and. <laughs> colonial oh no um <laughs> okay can't believe you would dunk on hot dogs in front of me unfucking believable i'm so sorry so one question that i had as i was watching this movie that required going back to interrogate the source text of dora mm. is because dora the explorer is a cartoon that started in 2000 it was on nickelodeon and specifically where Dora's heritage is, is never specified by the show. And I was wondering, I'm like, did I misremember that? Like, is a certain culture referenced in regards to, to Dora and her family? Because you meet her family in the show. You see her all the time. But I, I went back and, and did some research on it. And you do not find out. Um, and I And I was wondering how intentional that was. And it was extremely intentional um, going back to when this show 
was first developed. So uh, bear with me. Uh, very much t two white women hosting this show, but I there there is a really fascinating paper I found by Elon Berkman called uh, Dora the Explorer, Latinidad, and the Crisis of Identity in the Transition to Neoliberalism. <gasps> uh, <laughs> uh -huh. Which honestly, like that's a mouthful. And I'm also like, this is the shit that I like to read. Uh, this is like <laughs> same. You said the title, and I'm like, where do I find this? <laughs> it's a very good paper. I I um, only read the first couple of sections. I read the first twenty pages because the answer to the question is very thorough, and there's more shades of gray than what I was expecting. What I expected was that Dora the Explorer was a show developed by white executives. True, mm. that did what a lot of adventure genres do, which is you know take every single Latin culture and just turn it into a, a extremely generalized culture without any specificity, mm -hmm. which is what happens with Dora. But the reason it happened because there's there is a another there's a great radio segment as well on NPR called The Legacy of Dora the Explorer that came out when this movie did that unpacks the development of the show because Nickelodeon, for you know all of, all of their faults, did at this time, especially in the early 2000s, have by a long shot the most diverse slate of shows. Mm -hmm. There there was like quite a bit of representation uh, for this time at least, but all these shows were run by white executives, usually with consultants, which is something we'd come up against in movies all the time of like, why can't not a white guy direct this movie instead of like we gotta yeah. have a white guy but we'll hire consultants it's like there's there's a better way to do this but i wanted <laughs> to quote from this paper because that is a quality of dora that very much follows through to this movie i don't think that it's specified uh her country of origin we just know that she lives in the jungle she moves to the city and she's from a spanish-speaking family mm -hmm. so this is about the development of the original animated series mm. quote in order to make dora marketable to the widest possible audience dora's producers took the tact of rendering her as pan-ethnic that is they blurred lines of cultural and national identities in order to envelop as many latin identifying communities in dora's latinidad as possible at the advice of historic and Carlos Cortez, Dora's creators decided to avoid specifying Dora's national origin. Instead, they placed her in a fictional and unnamed world full of mixed Latin signifiers, which cannot be located on any map, but recall real world locations and elements. Cortez argued that this would allow all Latin children to see in Dora a hero that they related to and were proud of, while non-Latin children could, quote, embrace someone different, unquote. Dora's creators enthusiastically admit to designing Dora according to this logic. That is, to giving her what they call, quote, pan-Latino appeal, unquote. Their phenotypical design decisions reflect this same intentionality. For example, they changed Dora's eye color from green to brown after a uh, content supervisor pointed out that the majority of Latinos have brown eyes, unquote. Though delocalizing, dehistoricizing, and despecifying uh, Dora's identity in these ways may be a financially advantageous tactic, it creates a glaring contradiction that destabilizes Dora's character when partnered with her alleged quote-unquote authenticity to create a panethnic stereotype of Latinidad and then to label it as authentic is to erase, reduce, essentialize, and fetishize a multitude of national, cultural, ethnic, racial, historical, and linguistic identities, and then to claim that the products still perfectly mirror reality. Mm. Un 
quote, mm-hmm. which that totally scans for me. And then on the other side of of this very of this very real reality, okay, Jamie. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, wow, you're, you're, sounds like your PMS is acting up again. <laughs> that my PMS make me forget word. Um, <laughs> wow, feminist podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and while this is true, on the other end of that, it sounds like based on this oral history that was put together, that one of the reasons that decision was intentionally made was because Nickelodeon was going on the assumption that there was only going to be one show that would have a Spanish speaking protagonist. And they wanted so it there was like almost a pressure to represent as wide a net of, of children as possible, because, of course, we're not going to have two shows with mm. latin characters from a specific culture that would be ridiculous and so it's it's a very like early 2000s style paradox but i will link the paper if if you if you want to dig into it it's a really really fascinating read that very much like unpacks like while dora was certainly a huge stride there is still a lot of marketing hollywood mm-hmm. over sanitized bullshit attached to Right. The franchise. Yeah, I the the quote that you read, I, I feel like more concretely and more eloquently than I ever could have put together like a very good idea that I like that idea of that panethnic look, that pan Latino aesthetic that is so uh, popular in a lot of Hollywood media. It's always kind of like on one hand, it's like, oh, that's nice. I mean, we you know i i certainly did not grow up watching a lot of uh latino kids shows other than like you know like ones that were made in latin america mm-hmm. but you know i being a little kid sometimes you like the cooler shinier foreign stuff better mm. i guess that's not an experience that americans have but it is an experience <laughs> that not kids usually know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I guess it's not until like you're old enough to recognize that American booze is not very good, and you start looking for European one. Mm. Uh, but uh... Um, Mike's Hard Lemonade, <laughs> Mister Hard, Mister Hard Lemonade would like a word. <laughs> I, I guess I was thinking of, like champagne. I don't know. I I drink. I I only drink like the cheapest thing I can find. So it's, I'm not a good. I'm not a very good reference for this. I don't know why I chose that uh, simile. <laughs> Uh, I need a drink. Um, <laughs> Are you also PMSing? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe. It can be transmitted uh, through... <laughs> it's contagious through, and through can be Zoom transmitted call. through Zoom calls. <laughs> uh, you know, ever since I watched Turning Red, it's been, it's been, it's, it's been feeling very much like that. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Oh, the um, the pan Latino thing. Yeah. yeah. So you you grow up wanting to watch foreign stuff because you you know it has like a better budget. Mm-hmm. It has like cooler things. I don't know. It's like kind of like preferring Nickelodeon or Disney Channel to like PBS kids, I guess. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that same thing applied to like oh that country just has a better budget, so <laughs> those shows always look nicer and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I guess I grew up watching like stuff about Latina people, but it was more like a Latina made content. And when it came to like foreign one, it's like, yeah, there's Dora and there's um, 
I'm, I'm drawing a blank here about like TV shows or something like that. Mm. I loved the Brothers Garcia. That's a very specific early 2000s <gasps> show that I loved on Nickelodeon oh. is the Brothers. I was, cause I, I'm only remembering it because the shows about Latin kids and teenagers were are like heavily referred to in this paper. But the Brothers Garcia was really fun. And then Taina. Did you ever watch Taina? No, I don't know what this is. Taina was like the best. Oh, She was an Afro-Latino girl who lived in New York and went to like an art high school. And she wanted to be a famous singer. And it was everyone in middle school was like Taina's a hero. She had like a pink denim jacket. It was very exciting. I don't think this show made it here. I don't I I don't think I had heard of it. I wonder how it holds up. I just remember thinking Taina was the coolest and um she was. She also is played by the same actor who plays Lindsay Lohan's bandmate in Freaky Friday. She plays like the goth girl who's like, oh. yeah, yeah. I really love her. <laughs> I really love her. She is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> kind of on another side. So the paper you cited obviously made a ton of amazing points, which extend to the Dora movie as well, because Dora and her family's specific heritage is not identified. But as I was looking for a specific review of this movie, which is a whole other section that we'll get to in a moment, but I was looking for a specific review and I thought it had been published in the LA Times. So I just like Googled like LA Times, Dora and the Lost City of Gold review, hoping that I would find it. I didn't because it turns out the review I was looking for was in the Hollywood Reporter. But what (laughs) I did find was like several different articles in LA Times alone about Latine writers talking about how it was so meaningful for them to see Dora and the Lost City of Gold just for Latine representation in a movie. So even though it genericizes the culture and basically just says, oh, Dora is obviously Latina because she speaks Spanish, and other reasons because like and again other... there's no specific cultural things that really get mentioned so there's not a whole lot to go on but despite that there were a lot of people because i don't remember anyone talking about this movie except for me when i saw it in theaters <laughs> like yeah. i don't know if i just like missed the twitter conversation about it i, I think maybe just like people my like our age weren't talking about it or what but like it is also the kind of movie where it's like the audience of this movie is a little unclear to me like I guess it yes it's adapting a show about a seven-year-old turning her into a 17 year old but she still acts like a seven year old Mm -hmm. and it's for a show that is like low-key not really on as much as it used to be which is a lot of like reboot culture issues where you're like is this for me if so (laughs) Thank you. Like, <laughs> right. It does feel like a family movie that, like, it's kind of like, yeah, if you're a kid who watched the show, you'll enjoy it. But also, if you remember watching the show, you'll enjoy it too because it's a little bit grown up. Yeah. But I don't, they, I don't know if they marketed that way. It was a very confusingly made and marketed movie in, in regards to tone and audience. It's like, mm-hmm. I guess you would just want to catch everyone. Yeah, but right. fair. I mean, it, I I enjoyed it as an adult. 
And oh, for sure. Kids probably did too. So there was a bunch of fart jokes. So I'm sure they loved it. An extended poo joke. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. I also don't remember people talking about it though. Right. No one was right. talking about it. And if there was any conversation about it when it came out, I just kind of missed it because I was the only one of my friends who saw it in theater. Like no, like no one was talking about it that I was aware of. So anyway, so I, I was looking for a specific review and I found all this other writing that had been done about it that I just missed. But there was a lot of appreciation for the movie. It's Latine family. Many of the main characters, uh, voice actors included, are Latin. Yeah, so there's just, it just like is a story about a Latine family and they're going on an adventure and there was just a lot of excitement about that as far as representation goes in a Hollywood movie. I, I want to be clear and say that that paper is written about the animated series. That's not a criticism of the film at all. Sure. But just that that was like a question I had that is something that was like carried over into the movie. But I, I mean, I totally agree that it's like, I don't think it's a bad thing that her going on an adventure isn't inherently connected to her culture that happens in adventure movies more often than not mm -hmm. i guess that the cool thing that I, I don't know if this is what the writers that you were mentioning in the article were talking about but i think it's cool that you have this like latina family at its core which if i were to guess it's probably like a mexican american family just because of the aesthetics Mm. of like oh they're like their life in LA it feels very kind of like Chicano to me mm. I might be wrong but it does feel kind of like that it's very weird that they didn't decide to then set the movie in like Mexico instead of the Amazon but you know I guess they were still mm. going for that pan latina like appeal but regardless of whether or not their specific heritage is referenced I do understand that is there's something meaningful in the fact that they themselves at no point in the story are like othered for that right there's no reason to justify them being latina other than the fact that the ip is mm -hmm. so i don't know you get so many so many stories that feature latina characters have to justify it in some regard yeah sometimes sometimes you can be very specific and sometimes you can be very like oh look i'm, I'm representing this very specific culture but it doesn't land the same way because you're still centering the story on whiteness, which is kind of my main complaint about the new West Side Story, for example. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah, you can go all in on the Puerto Rican components of it. But this, this story still centers itself so much on whiteness mm -hmm. that it is kind of a, a little tiring. Mm -hmm. It was a little tiring for me to watch in some regards. Yeah. Mm. Well, it, mostly because the movie taunted itself as being a very relevant and modern update. But if you have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, sure. I guess there's no Natalie Wood in brown face anymore, so points. But um, <laughs> that's a very low bar. <laughs> but in Dora, there's no need for that. You know, you, you can just have these people exist mm -hmm. in their own little adventure movie, and it doesn't have to justify itself. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's... Uh, Right. It's kind of refreshing, the, depressingly so, mm -hmm. uh, even if we don't get into the specifics. Even even when you get into the specifics, a lot of Americans don't care. <sighs> I, I saw so many people being like, 
Oh, I didn't even know that Encanto was set in Colombia. It just looked like a generic Latin American country to me. And it's like, well, maybe you are the problem here. Right. right. Like that movie tells you where you are. Exactly. It's like maybe if you it's like, if you don't think they all look like Mexicans or something like that, then you won't have that problem. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I do wish and I always talk about how important it is that we are more specific in our stories. Like, especially when I lived in LA, it was very easy to get branded as like, oh, a Latino storyteller. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm more of a Colombian storyteller, but I guess you could call my stories Latina, uh, even though they tend to be very Colombian in point of view. Mm-hmm. So I always appreciate that kind of specificity, but I do recognize that something that what Dora does is also valuable in the... Uh, not having to question the ethnicity of their characters and doing so in a way that is fun and, I don't know, doesn't have to deal with baggage mm-hmm. uh, that much. Like, it just allows, allows Latino people to exist without having to question their validity to be there at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that have to do with what we were talking about? I feel like, again, <laughs> yes! I derailed myself for a <laughs> no, second. No, that's exactly what we were talking <laughs> about. Yeah, okay. That, okay. Like, I mean... That makes total uh, it, It's such a dense, complicated, but it's like, I think for the, especially for the tone of what this movie is, it makes total sense. And it probably behooves the story to like, not, I mean, it, and it, it's, I, I don't know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, there's a way to be specific without centering the story around it. But it's, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's not like Agent Cody Banks is traipsing around wherever the fuck he is being like, I'm Irish. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) like, so (laughs) that was the worst example (laughs) in the world. No, I loved it. Maybe that, I don't remember what happens in that movie. Maybe that is what happens. Maybe it's him. <laughs> no, don't, yeah, don't you remember that Cody Banks goes on an extended tirade about a United Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I how I learned about that conflict. Was, was through was through Cody. Cody, oh my God. <laughs> okay, so the review that I was trying to find was a Hollywood Reporter review by critic Todd McCarthy, who did not like the movie. And some of the reasons, I mean, all the reasons he cites are, I would say, not valid. (laughs) I don't agree with his review. But some of them are just like, just fucking gross. Because he's basically saying the movie is too, like, sanitized and squeaky clean, which was confusing for him because Dora is too sexy basically like she's aged up to be a teenager so like not people telling on themselves like this (laughs) i do you remember that review of the little mermaid that was like i want to fuck this mermaid so bad i hated the movie and you're just like (laughs) what stop yeah who is forcing you to admit to this thing (laughs) right like do you know you're writing this down like (laughs) so i'll i'll share an excerpt just to demonstrate what film writing by some critics still is. So this is what Todd McCarthy said about the movie. Quote, what keeps things alive up to a point is the imperturbable attitude of the titular heroine who is invested with try and stop me spirit by Isabella Merced, 
who's actually 18 and looks it despite preventative measures. The same goes for Jeff Wahlberg, who's 19. There's a palpable gap you can't help but notice between the essentially innocent, borderline pubescent nature of the leading characters and the film itself. Sir. And the more confident and mature vibes emanating from the leading actors. The director seems to be trying to keep the hormones at bay, but there are some things you just can't disguise. Perhaps human nature, first and foremost. Dora seems committed to projecting a pre-sexualized version of youth while throbbing unacknowledged beneath the surface is something a bit more real, its presence rigorously ignored. End quote. Is he like in jail? Like, <laughs> that is so gross. Yeah, like, dude, Dora isn't projecting anything. You're doing you all the projecting. Are projecting. <laughs> I, I do kind of, like, this is so nasty for so many reasons. And I also feel like there's the additional racially charged tendency to over sexualize Latina actors. Mm-hmm. And then there also is a part of me that is like, someone publishing an L this severe is so bizarre. Like, yeah. it was bizarre in 1989 when maybe it was that guy. Maybe this is just his claim <laughs> to fame where he's like, oh, I want to have sex with cartoons, but I can't. And that <laughs> makes me mad. And I'm a f- <laughs> now give me my paycheck. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Stop. It's absolutely wild that this would get published. It's just, I'm just... Horrifying. It just kept getting worse. It just <laughs> yeah. kept getting worse. It was like, Robin. oh, she was, she was like 16. It's uh, just... With an adult, it would be weird to talk of this much about her throbbing under the surface, but... <laughs> but oh, we're God, talking about a, a character who is 16. Uh, yes. Oh, so... Uh, Jail, jail, gross, <laughs> jail. Oh, that was brutal. I was, I was gonna say, because we have a few more plot things to kind of mm-hmm. zoom through, is that the way that Dora was dressed, I thought worked for the mm-hmm. movie. She's, you know, she she wears a couple different outfits. Like none of them are drawing attention to her body. And I feel like if this movie was made even 10 years ago, it would have been like, Dora's all grown up. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's all grown up and she's, you know, wearing a shirt. Like, right. It's all good. And the fact that we even have to point this out is like, wow, she's dressed appropriately and not over-sexualized. But that's an issue that exists in Dora the Explorer canon. Because in that show, yeah. Dora and Friends, she's like aged up to be 12 or 13 and they change, they give her like a curvy body shape. And like... Mm. pinkify her or like you know not not the original pink you know like it pastelify yeah. her or whatever it is right. and <sighs> so i did appreciate that at least I, I i do appreciate it's not like you know no one's getting a medal about it but like when a franchise or a ip like gets flack for some shit like dora did in 09 i checked mm. and then course corrects it in future iterations i feel like that is net good mm-hmm. and which also makes this writer even more of a pervert because i'm like she's wearing a fucking crew neck t-shirt what is <laughs> wrong with you yeah if you walk into dora the explorer being like god i hope it's sexual it's like 
what yeah what are you expecting todd mccarthy like what are you, <laughs> todd, what are you talking about todd yeah todd, todd, what is got, going on todd, here buddy 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 <laughs> we're worried about you buddy that's the nastiest thing i've ever read yeah but speaking of um inserting sexual stuff not sexual but like love stuff where it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. i didn't like marky mark's nephew and sammy with the forced love story it didn't fit it didn't make sense the chemistry wasn't there between the characters and there's already a more interesting thing going on with Sammy and Dora and that right. just took away from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't like the shoehorn love story at all. That moment I think when they wake up in the box and like they're like kind of like leaning against each other. No, it wasn't there. It was when they were in the museum and they were like kind of like bantering a little bit. I was like, "Oh no, they're going to fall in love." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, every time that it's something game happening, it was like, "Who needed this?" It's amazing question. Especially because I kind of love Sammy's characterization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just kind of like her and Dora are kind of very like girl bossy in a way that sometimes feels a little bit uh pandery like in the in that like faux feminism of like movie studios like to plug mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. uh but it made it was kind of endearing because i was like oh this is kind of how a lot of like like you know like model un teenage girls behave mm-hmm. it's kind of like kind of like that um girl bossy behavior that is kind of uh, they're projecting it because they're learning about it but they're not like yet in the nuances of it yeah uh-huh. and uh i thought it was very fun it felt very sincere to how high schoolers behave mm-hmm. right at least th- that kind of uh, archetype i also thought it was interesting that and this is maybe kind of corny but diego calls sammy bossy and she responds by saying, oh, what what next? Are you going to call me shrill or too difficult? And then she alludes to the fact that he has taken a misogyny 101 class, which is pretty funny. I hated that. I thought that was like, I was like, ooh, good job. I th- whatever. It's fine. It's for kids. It's I, like it works for the genre. But I was just like, wow, two white dads really are fucking clapping themselves on the back at home for that right, like, right. oh misogyny 101 exactly yes that's and what then, it's like <laughs> fuck yeah that is what it feels like to us but i will say i thought it was since we we see characters say problematic things in movies all the time and it's yeah. rare that it ever gets called out or challenged i like sammy actually challenging that i was like okay that's at least something we don't see. And if kids are seeing this movie and they see an example of a character being the recipient of sexism and then that being challenged, like that could set an example for a young person watching this. It's totally fine. I just, I just roll my eyes at shit like that. But also sure. I'm not, you know, 10. Uh, so it's fine. Sorry, I just insulted you for I think that's <laughs> <Sorry. the> <laughs> That was kind of the the scene that made me realize, like what I was just said, like like you said, Jamie, it feels very like patting, pat, like self congratulatory. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was like, I I do I do think that some high schoolers speak with that kind of uh, thing. So I don't know if it was on purpose in that way. It was probably not, but it worked that way. Right. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like yeah, it is. I don't know. Like she's she goes to the costume party to the Halloween ball dressed as like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's like <laughs> I know. Yes. I was just like, okay. First of all, she's gonna grow up to be fucking Jen Saki or like something kind of bleak. Actually, she's gonna grow up to be a centrist, <laughs> Sammy the centrist. 
So real quick back to the wedged in Diego Sammy love story. I also did not care for it for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that Sammy surprise kisses Diego at the end, which I feel like is a new trend of like more contemporary movies of like now the girl surprise kisses the boy. Isn't that so subversive? Isn't that feminism? And it's like, no, no people of any gender should be surprise kissing anybody else of any gender. Yeah. So that was annoying. I also kind of thought that maybe they would wedge in a Dora and Randy romance especially because they bonded so much over astronomy my guess was that it was there and then they wrote it out or something like that because it felt like that was planned because he kept he was doing that like weird guy from a disney channel show thing where he keep being like yeah we have so much in common i'm like i hate this yeah i feel like he kept planting like oh maybe something flirty is gonna happen and it seems like maybe i got scaled back or cut yeah yeah that meeting scene that like when they meet it definitely feels like a crush setup Mm -hmm. and then it was like oh they didn't feel the need to follow up on that Uh, they probably it might have been cut in the editing it might have not even been like in the writing right because they shot it that way right because so many movies would be like oh well it's a boy and a girl and they're close to each other and they have one thing in common so obviously they're they should kiss at the end again the bar is so low but the fact that the movie didn't do that i was like okay point for the movie have a point because like the others two, the other two did fall in love right so they cancel each other out uh, yeah. so that's disappointing And then I think, Jamie, you mentioned the more interesting relationship dynamic that's happening here is the one between Dora and Sammy, where it starts out antagonistic and, you know, Sammy is threatened by Dora for a specific reason. It does feel a little petty to me, but, you know, Sammy's used to being the smartest person in the room and she really likes it that way so that when Dora comes along and she also knows things, she's like, who is this other person who is smart? There can only be one girl. <laughs> one smart, <laughs> like, one smart girl. How, kind of how that, the, the beginning of that storyline, but it changes quickly enough that I was like, all right, mm-hmm. we got out of trope territory. I do think it started in trope territory. Of right. Like, oh, yeah. I am girl that's smart. And more than one smart girl is is poison to me. And I'm a bully now. You're like, man, mm-hmm. that's right. not really how that goes. Smart girls in high school actually desperately cling to each other because <laughs> <laughs> you're not safe. You know, uh, right. So, um, but yeah, they become friendly and I appreciate that arc i like that it is kind of an arc like dora's arc is is, is like you like you said earlier because it, it kind of set up as like dora needs to change or something like to fit in mm-hmm. and it just becomes an arc about like her learning that you know having friends is good mm-hmm. it's just very sweet it's kind of a sweet coming of age adventure movie i guess but it is cool that she has an arc of friendship with this with her cousin and these two kids that it's like mm-hmm. She doesn't have to be in a romance with any of them. It's just kind of like a, like a oh, having friends is cool, and yeah. uh, it was just very sweet. I was I was very endeared by it. Maybe I was just yeah. a weird kid. Uh, so <laughs> no, I I also no, appreciated it. So those stories always get to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. same. Yeah, yeah. Um, does anyone have anything else that they want to discuss about Dora and the Lost City of Gold? Um, I just wanted to shout out the other women in Dora's family. I liked 
Dora's connection with her parents, it didn't feel like it leaned too heavy on one parent. I feel like sometimes you get like, dad is the best one and mom is yelling at me or disappears. And like, I, mm -hmm. I appreciate it. It seems like there was sort of even parent distribution. Eva Longoria and Michael Pena are having, having a blast. Oh, Michael yeah. Pena's like, did you hear? Oh, I'm Chucky e. Cheese's favorite actor. Also, <laughs> I love Scientology. Whatever. Like, anyways, um, I wanted to also shout out Dora's grandma, who yes. is played by, um, I want to pull her name up because I recognize her. She's a character actor who's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, yeah. Adriana Barraza. Yeah. I remember her most clearly from, I mean, she works with Inaratu a lot. She's a mm -hmm. Mexican actress. And she also like, I didn't realize this before I was doing research for this episode, but she also like developed the um, Mexican method of method acting. Like she has a super successful performance school oh, in, that she runs in Mexico. She's like a huge fucking deal. And I wish that she was given more to do. She's barely in the movie. It's basically a cameo for someone as famous as her she's been in huge movies i personally loved her and she's in drag me to hell a movie mm. i love uh she kicks ass in that movie i don't know how that movie ages but i used to really love it um guess we'll have to do it on the podcast honestly i feel like there's so much to talk about and mm. i never want to cover a justin long movie for some reason i don't know what it is maybe i just didn't like those commercials he was in uh, but mm. I, I don't like to look at him, but I, I love Drag Me to Hell. Mm -hmm. I'm being so mean to all boys today. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you haven't been mean to me. No, and I, and it's never. not going to happen because <laughs> I would never put you in the same category as Mark Wahlberg's nephew. That's insulting. I think the first time I watched it, I, I thought he was fine. I, I agree that in the rewatch, I was like a little like, oh, he's not very good, especially because the other three kids are pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was kind of like the first time I was just like, oh, he's a very accurate, like straight Latino kid mm. like that, like, you know, doesn't show emotions. And mostly because he he wears a soccer jersey to the, the Halloween ball as a costume. And uh -huh. I was like, that's like straight Latino culture right there. <laughs> I've seen that firsthand. Mm. They think that that's like a costume. <laughs> And it's just like, no, it's not. Um, but so I was like, oh, yeah, he's the quintessential, like, straight Latino. Mm. And then in the second time around, I was like, oh, maybe he's he's not quite there yet. Watch him become the most famous actor in the entire world. And this will aid so poorly. And actually, nepotism is genius. <laughs> and then in a few years, they'll talk about Jeff Wahlberg's uncle. Yeah. Wahlberg. People be like, do you uncle. remember Jeff Wahlberg's uncle? Hey, you know how we have not been passing the Bechtel test for the past couple minutes because we were talking about Jeff? Yeah. Well, what about any scenes in this movie that do pass the Bechtel test? I, I wrote it down specifically. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the only one, but it's definitely the one that just made me realize. Like, the conversation that passes the Bechtel test is about poop. Yeah. There is a poop conversation that passes. Yes. There's a full poop conversation. There's also between Dora and her grandmother. They talk about high school and oh, being yeah. and like Dora feeling lonely and it's an extended scene and I don't think there might be mention of like, oh, Diego said called me weird. Do you think I'm weird, grandma? But like other than that Yeah, he's not like the topic. Right. Mm -mm. It's about Dora's feelings. That's a much better scene to use as an example than the one about the poop hole. <laughs> 
No, no that's I, a that's a, one of my. New, I think that that's entering the pantheon of fun passes mm-hmm. because there's no way around it. That passes with flying. Yeah. Brown colors. <laughs> I like saw you hesitating, and I was like, "What is Jamie gonna say?" <laughs> I got PMS. I'm being a fucking misandrist, and I'm talking about poo poo. A loose cannon. Wow, much like a a loose butthole. Remember we talked about Shrek's loose butthole? Oh, I was like, uh-huh. uh huh. Yeah, we did talk about. God, we've talked about. We've really just talked a lot in this lifetime. <laughs> Uh, we gotta stop. <laughs> sometimes people will say, sometimes the listener will be like, "Do you remember when you said this?" And then they'll say the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. And I was like, uh, "No, I have no recollection of saying saying that." But I, uh, I believe you. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I think that's why I can never have my own podcast. I, don't, I, I can't have so many of the stuff I say out there on the record. It's brutal. It'll come to haunt me. Not in like a old tweets kind of way but in like uh, remember when you said that that was kind of messed up and it's just like yeah. like in a very weird way and it's just like yeah i i would see i usually don't remember that stuff i don't need to say them to a mic fast forward to me like three years from now being like caitlin i am working with mark Wahlberg's nephew i need you to take down the dora episode <laughs> this has literally already happened multiple times and i refuse <laughs> to learn my lesson <laughs> <sighs> yeah, we really do dig ourselves into a hole, a poo hole. A poop hole. Ah. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> the movie passes the Bechdel test. For sure. Should we, should we kick it to the nipples? <laughs> Let's do it. So uh, I would give this movie... Mm, I loved it so much, and it definitely gets 10 out of 10 on the Caitlin Rompometer. Mm-hmm. And even though it is far more self-aware than other movies of this genre and calls out and challenges several of the weaknesses of this genre, it still does the things for the most part in its representation of indigenous people and culture, some of the stereotypes that are used, the failure to characterize the indigenous characters even a little bit. Those things are not great. On the other hand, you have a female protagonist, which is rare for this genre. You have a a teen girl driving the narrative. She's comfortable in who she is. She's such a likable character. The Latine, Latina, Latinx representation that is, again, sadly, all too rare for a major Hollywood movie um and it's just these characters they're living their lives they're going on an adventure they're doing the things they like to do is again uh, unfortunately still quite rare that was exciting to see uh so it's complicated there's a lot of things happening here i would ultimately give this movie i would give it three nipples It's got many strengths. It's got many weaknesses. I think it's a good stepping stone movie in terms of like maybe the next adventure movie, you know, will be even more self-aware and subscribe to fewer of the tropes. Will be less directed and written by entirely white guys, which I feel like we... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Even when white guys are doing a, a pretty good job, if it's still all white 
it's not good yeah and they're still kind of doing a bad job so uh (laughs) this movie (laughs) this movie again it feels like a stepping stone for progress but not all the way there so three nipples i will give one to dora i will give one to sammy and i'll give my third nipple to the mention of monkey facts which is not unlike cat facts with caitlin but there's a character who i don't even think we talked about um one of the mercenaries i think his name is viper he says something like monkeys can carry three times their own body weight that's just a monkey fact (laughs) so i was like wow that was cute (laughs) we're learning so much truly um I'll meet you at three as well for for I mean we've we've boy have we discussed a lot we've discussed longer than the movie mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and I think that there is yeah I, it feels like a stepping stone movie that certainly moved things in moves things in the right direction it also is like something we we didn't discuss in this episode there's all like especially when a movie is providing heightened representation for anybody and this applies kind of across the board but because this movie does have such strong latine representation there is always undue pressure put on those movies that doesn't exist for movies right. by protagonists and that's not a fair or you know reasonable thing to do and that is always kind of a tricky line to toe as well mm-hmm. I, I think this movie is so sweet and fun and does not treat indigenous culture with any of the sensitivity that the politics of this movie seem that you would think like it right it's so bizarre and uh you know the white guys at the top of the production don't love that but the performances are so fun the movie is a blast i love poop hole uh and i'm giving all three of my nipples to <laughs> fucking so wiper my boyfriend <laughs> yeah cool jamie cool Um, (laughs) i'm going to jail i'm like todd i'm like i'm like swiper was throbbing and i was upset by that (laughs) listen i'd much rather you talk that way about swiper who's portrayed by very of age benicio del toro (laughs) yeah swiper is He's a grown man. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get off this. And <laughs> Jose, what would your nipple rating be? Um, I I'm gonna give it three and a half nipples. Mm-hmm. Everything that you said, I, I agree with, and that you know it has very good female characters around which the story like revolves, mm-hmm. and uh, I I enjoy that. It's just it's just it has a very good cast of characters, and like half of it is like female and they're all very good mm-hmm. it has that like what i said about like that latina core cast that doesn't have to justify its own identity in order to be part of the story mm-hmm. which i always appreciate that's always fun um and i appreciate that it means well on paper mm-hmm. in terms of bridging those gaps between what the adventure genre has been and what it could be mm-hmm. but i also agree that <laughs> It stumbles near the finish line in terms of uh, depicting its indigenous characters as more than just magical beings that are there for plot reasons. It's just, Mm -hmm, it's a shame because like you said, the rest of the movie is very fun. It's very, 
entertaining, very creative. If 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 all reboots were like this, then maybe people wouldn't complain so much about them, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So three and a half seems fair, and yeah. uh, I'm gonna give one to Dora, one to Sammy, just like you did, just because they they deserve them. Mm-hmm. One to Eugenio Derbez, who's always kind of very charming. And he was donkeying Shrek, so, like, I have to pay my respects. I did not know I that can. until you mentioned it oh. earlier, and uh, that's very exciting to me. That's That, to me, I was like, he probably has a boat. Like, imagine, that's so, that's so much money. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, I can't watch Shrek or Shrek 2, the ones that I like, in English. Because the the Spanish dubbing is so good. The Latin oh, American yeah. dubbing is amazing. I should watch those. Oh, my gosh. It's very good. Antonio Banderas is also doing Puss in Boots. And mm. uh, I don't know. There's something about Shrek having this very thick northern Mexican accent that is just a lot of fun. Mm, hell, yeah. Um, and I'm going to give the half nipple to... Mark Wahlberg's nephew because we've been very mean to him throughout <laughs> this and I think he, he he deserves like he has potential he deserves something he's young he'll learn he'll get better your nipples they're your nipples man <laughs> just I, I'm giving him the half for a reason mm-hmm. <laughs> well Jose thank you so very much for putting up with us for two and a half hours Yikes. thank you for having me uh, <laughs> I had a lot of fun for uh, most of those two and a half hours. All of them. <laughs> well, all I was like, them. whoa, they're, the twist. I was like, which minute sucked? <laughs> when we talked about our PMS for 45 minutes. That was the highlight. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, thank you so much. Um, everyone should watch Jose's video. Uh, we will yes. include it in the description of this episode. It's an excellent Very watch. Sweet. And... Yeah, tell us what else people can check out of yours. Tell us where they can follow you on social media, all that stuff. Well, uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Jose M. Luna. I also have like my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, where I occasionally drop some essays if the time allows for it. And I, I just finished one on Encanto and its roots in Colombian literature. I'm very proud of it. I think it's my best one yet. I've done three, so it's not a big compliment. But yeah, yeah, I think my YouTube channel is just my name. Nice. Love it. We'll link to that as well. Yeah, your, your essays are truly so brilliant. Big fan of your work. Thank you for coming by. Thank you. That means a lot. Uh, this was, was, I had a blast. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Well, folks, there you have it. That was our Unlocked Matreon episode on Dora and the Lost City of Gold with Mm. special guest Jose Maria Luna. If you liked it, you should, I don't know, maybe subscribe to our Matreon to hear more episodes like it. Truly, like, not to, we're kind of on a roll recently on the Matreon. I feel like we're kind Mm. of in this, this, um, it's also- The Saw episode, hello. I mean, who could forget the Saw episode? So on the (laughs) Matreon, you know, not to sell you on it one more time, but it is so fun. Uh, It's where we cover Mm. popular requests and also like we do themed months. What are we calling Mm -hmm. this month? It's just like back to school September. Yeah. Back to school September. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did Never Been Kissed and there's a Pitch Perfect episode on the way, which are- have both been forever requests yes and uh we've got an exciting horror lineup you also uh frequently get 
to vote for movies that we're going to cover on the Matreon. Mm-hmm. Caitlin and I uh, once again get back to the cast unleashed during our birthday months we cover the netflix holiday movies um (laughs) it's really you're welcome it's it's really a place of chaos (laughs) and beautiful chaos absolutely Mm -hmm. and so uh thank you for listening to this unlocked episode and for more episodes like it you can go to patreon.com slash spectalcast to subscribe you'll also get access to all of those you know the back catalog of episodes Over on the patreon uh-huh and then give us a little you know follow on twitter and instagram at spectalcast you can subscribe on your favorite listening platform give us a little you know rate and review that helps the show out a lot yeah and um Tell us about the merch, Jamie. Well, okay, fine. You, <laughs> okay. Can, you can go. Sorry, I literally was looking at a picture of Brendan Fraser and I got distracted. Oh, well, um, <laughs> look, I understand. As I want to do. You can go to tpublic.com slash the Bechdel cast uh, for all of your merchandising needs, if those are needs that you have. Mm-hmm. And with that, why don't we put on our backpacks and... Get our little monkey sidekicks. Let me and, get my little map out. And go on a little adventure. And I promise to be nicer to Mark Wahlberg's nephew this time. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye-bye. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yes. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal, with more entrepreneurs, more live events, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Encore Jane about creating a billion-dollar startup. Walter Isaacson about the geniuses who change the world. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it! That's really it! And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like (laughs) Change.Dork. Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.